the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. On the second Sunday of the blessed month of Kiyah, my beloved, the Church reads for us the passage of the Annunciation of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at the narrative between St. Mary and Archangel Gabriel, this Annunciation to her of the birth of the Lord, perhaps we are left asking many questions, and we are left marveling at St. Mary's humility and submission and obedience to the angel and to the commandment of God. And mind you, in her state of mind, she had consecrated herself to be a servant in the temple for the rest of her life. So all of a sudden, she's not expecting to have any children, and the angel comes and tells her, you're going to have a child. Um, And all of a sudden, her plans of her life changed in a moment. And we don't see she was frazzled, we don't see she got nervous. She accepted everything that was said to her. And then she, the next question perhaps she can ask, okay, how am I going to have this child? I have no husband. So now you can have a child with no husband. And if this is something that people around know about this, the penalty for this is to be stoned, right? And to be killed. So her life can be in danger because of this news that she received. She was silent and accepted the will of God. Perhaps, um, when she heard the praise the angel the angel told her twice you are highly favored right and you will bear not just a child but the child you will bear will be the son of God and his throne will be forever and she's hearing all of this and she's not you know uh, plagued with pride and honor and boasting and a sense of relevance and significance. We marvel at St. Mary's um, state of heart and we're able to peer in her heart and just her simple response. She says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be uh, to me according to your word. And the angel departed. It's very simple. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. As if when she says, you know, let it be according to your word, as if she presents herself as, you know, just uh, someone in the hand of God and says, do with me whatever it is that you wish. She had no questions. There was no hesitation. There were no doubts. There were no fear. Just simple, utter submission to the commandment of God. This state of emptying completely of oneself and submitting oneself to God the church and some of the fathers, they refer to this as spiritual poverty. And I'd like to speak a little bit this morning about this idea of spiritual poverty. What is spiritual poverty? If you remember the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, the first one is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's another one of the Beatitudes that's also, you know, the reward is the kingdom of heaven. Which one? Right. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake also receive the kingdom of heaven. So, so it gives us these two, you know, as this is where, you know, if you want the kingdom of heaven, these are the two. Spiritual poverty or being poor in spirit or being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, being poor in spirit does not necessarily mean one is poor like financially or in their status. Um, or that one is found in an unfortunate circumstance. This is not what he means here by poor in spirit. But the poor in spirit is one who by their own choice makes themselves poor uh, before God. 
And actually, if you look in the Greek, the word poor is more accurately translated as a beggar, somebody who begs. So it's as if he's saying, blessed are those who beg in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what are some qualities of a beggar? When you look at a beggar, you'll find, number one, the beggar is dependent on someone else. Their whole livelihood and the way that they survive and the way they get their food and their clothing, everything is dependent on someone else. So this is number one. Number two is the beggar is the one who receives, right? They receive. They don't give, but they're the ones who receive. Keep in mind, of course, we're beggars before God, right? So we need to be dependent on Him and to receive from Him. And lastly, the beggar is the one who's hopeless without any assistance. His hope is in the assistance that others give him. You don't find a beggar who is self-righteous, a true beggar who is self-righteous. There was a book um, called God Alone Suffices that speaks about a lot of this uh, spiritual poverty. I'll just read a couple of quotes uh, from this book and it kind of explains to us a little bit about what is this spiritual poverty. He says, We need to cultivate an attitude of a beggar who puts all of his trust in God's mercy without fearing he will die of starvation. God generously pours spiritual crumbs on us even if we do not notice them. There are plenty of crumbs to satisfy all our spiritual needs. It is sufficient to stand before God as the poorest of all, gesturing as a beggar who stretches his hands to God, awaiting everything from him. And he says in another place, All of our pretenses are contradictory to the posture of a beggar. The beggar is such only when he is begging. When he stops begging, he very quickly begins to think that he is somebody else. Perhaps he put away some money he received. But the moment he stops begging and dresses nicely, people will no longer consider him a beggar. Speaking in the spiritual sense, it does not matter whether you stop begging because you are preoccupied with your current work or whether it happens while kneeling in prayer. The moment you stop turning to God with a humble plea for mercy, you immediately cease to acknowledge the truth that you will always remain a beggar before God. So he's saying here that we need to present ourselves as a beggar before God. And those who attended the praises yesterday, how many times have we cried and said, Your mercies, O God. Are we saying this and just joining just with the chorus of people who are saying, or is this being a cry from a state of my sinfulness and my utter poverty and I need to depend on His mercy? And this is a cry for mercy from Him. Um, <clears throat> Another aspect of this spiritual poverty is understanding my true identity as a sinner. The Lord says a parable about the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18. We're all familiar with this passage. It's a passage where there was a, a, a master who had a servant who accumulated a debt of over 10,000 talents. And how much is 10,000 talents? One talent is 6,000 denarii. And one denarii is one day's worth of work. So this means that he's indebted 60 million days of work. You know what that equals? 
hundred, about 164,000 years of work. No one's going to live that long, even if you count all of the generations in your family, right? So this is an unsurmountable debt that we are owed, or that this person was owed. So they came to the master and begged for forgiveness, and he said, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay all. The master knows he can't afford this, but he says what? I will forgive you all of your debt. And he forgives him. So he leaves the master, goes and finds a servant of his who owes him a hundred denarii, which is about three months worth of work, right? And he says, pay up. And he says, I don't have it. And he uses the same words. Have, mer- have patience with me, and I will repay. And he says, no. And he throws him in prison. So the other servants hear this, and they report this back to the master. The important part is what the master responds. And uh, uh, Matthew uh, 18.34, he says, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So all that he was forgiven is then put on his head once more. So all that he had begged for mercy for, when he didn't show mercy to his brethren, this was all back put on his shoulders. Of course, this passage is more about forgiveness. But the point that I want to make from this passage is that the servant was indebted with more than he could afford to pay no matter how long he lived. Recognizing that my sin is the weight of these 10,000 talents in comparison to the weight of my neighbors of a 100 denarii. This is the key. Do I look at my sins as being the 100 denarii and the sins of my brethren as being the 10,000 talents and how much worse they are than me? Or do I look at myself and say, I have the 10,000 talents and my brother has the mere 100 uh, denarii? And First Timothy, St. Paul tells us, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He considered himself the chief among sinners. He put himself as a beggar before God in needing of mercy and of his grace. You might say, Buna, this seems to be a bit demeaning, you know, to make myself as a beggar. But I'm a well-established person. I have this kind of honor and respect among the community. What do you mean put myself as a beggar? To be honest, this is the reality of things. This is the reality. When you put yourself before God, we will always be a beggar. Why? Because God is God, the creator of the universe, and he created us, his creatures, to praise, love, and to serve him. So he's the creator and we're the creature. Before him, we will always be, as a beggar, somebody who can't be uh, sustained themselves. It's another good book called Interior Freedom, and the author says what? Our spiritual poverty locates our identity securely in one place, where we will be safe from all harm. If our treasure is in God, no one can take it from us. Humility is truth. I am what I am in God's eyes, a poor child who possesses absolutely nothing, who receives everything, infinitely loved and totally free. I have received everything in advance from the freely bestowed love of my father, who said to me definitively, all that I, all that is mine is yours. So he's saying, when we realize and understand our spiritual poverty, and we say to God that all I have is from you, then we are able to partake of the grace and the riches that God wants to pour out on us, the spiritual and heavenly riches, um, when he said, all that is mine is yours. <clears throat> What's the purpose of this spiritual poverty? 
or it's ultimately to receive everything that God wants to give us. You know they always say, if you want to receive something, you can't hold something in your hand, right? If you want to give me a gift, I couldn't receive it from you as long as I was holding on to something. But as long as I let go of it, then I can take it from you, right? This spiritual poverty is letting go of everything, so our hands are open before God, ready to receive all the gifts and grace that He wants to give us. This is what it means to be His adopted children, to receive everything from Him. This is what St. John said, and St. Paul echoed the same. St. John said, And as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in Him. So when we receive Him, we become His children, receiving everything from Him. And St. Paul says, for, do you, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So how is it that I can see if I have this any spiritual poverty or not? We can just think of a few scenarios and you'll find most of us were not there, myself being the first. For example, if someone close to you says some unkind word to you, or somebody criticizes you, or points out a personal fault in you, you'll find our soul is immediately insulted and it flares up with resentment, wanting to respond. We're maybe lacking the spiritual poverty or this being poor in spirit. When we see someone else uh, that we know is given respect and honor before you know, a group of people or in a workplace or school or whatever it is, we find this wounds us. Why? Because it wounds our pride. We want the same honor and praise. Perhaps we're lacking the spiritual poverty. If you look at contempt or arrogance with another person, perhaps who is uh, less affluent or somebody who is doesn't have as higher social status than you, I look down on them, then perhaps I'm missing the spiritual poverty. Or perhaps we consider those who don't go to church or those who are not part of the Christian faith as worse than ourselves and we begin to judge them. This tells us that we are lacking spiritual poverty. So how is it that we can cultivate this spiritual poverty in our life? We said that spiritual poverty is an emptying of ourselves like a beggar, being able to receive from the Lord everything He wants to give us. And it's our adoption as His sons. So this self-emptying has to be the emptying of the ego, the self, our will, our aspirations, our dreams. And this takes discipline. You know, those who want to really practice the spiritual poverty, uh, we can say that those who go and want the path of the monastic life are those who want to practice the spiritual poverty. And they're placed before them three vows that they take before God. And all of them are there to train them in the self-emptying, the self-denial. The vow of poverty teaches them and allows them to practice the denial of possession or the desire to have material possessions. The vow of celibacy allows them to practice the denial of the passions. And the vow of obedience allows them to practice the denial of the will. Not to do what you will, but the will of someone else. Another human being, right? Their spiritual father. I'm not speaking just here about God, but of the spiritual father. You say, well, no, I don't want to be a monk. I want to live here. Okay? Fasting. Fasting allows us 
to practice this self-denial of the will. I want to eat this, but it's time of fasting and I say no. How often is it that during the time of fasting, I'm even unable to tell myself no in a small piece of cheese or, you know, these kind of chips that, you know, they have, you know, the cheese written all over it. I can't tell myself no. So we want to practice spiritual poverty that we can begin by being diligent in our fasting. Training ourselves to tell ourselves no. When we're able to tell ourselves no to food, which is one of the passions, we can train ourselves to say no to the greater of the passions. In order to become a beggar before God, we must also learn how to beg. And we do so in prayer. We cannot grow in our poverty without begging Him, without praying to Him. I'll recall your memory to the woman, the Canaanite woman, who came to him who had a daughter who was demon-possessed and all, and she was very wealthy, and all her money and the physicians couldn't heal her daughter. So she came to the Lord and begged and said, Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. You know what the Lord did? He ignored her. Then she begged again. And the disciples came and pleaded with him and said, Send her away. Heal her or just send her away. And the Lord answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And what was her response? Her response was, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. What a beautiful response. She put herself as a beggar before him. And as soon as she did this, in her utter poverty, God said, let it be to you according to what you said. And her daughter was healed that very moment. And this woman was a wealthy woman. But she presented herself as a beggar before God, and she received this healing. There's a certain sin in my life, or a certain um, relationship that I need help with. Let's put ourselves before God like a beggar and beg him like this Canaanite woman. Have mercy on me. And let, and the, the crumbs that fall from your table will be sufficient for me. Lastly, we must discover our sinful reality. The spiritually impoverished is also one who considers himself chief among sinners, as we mentioned St. Paul. And the more that I am aware of my sin, the more I realize my extreme poverty. And this is truly learning what it means to beg for mercy, when we realize how sinful we really are. So if I don't know how sinful I am, I need to search the scriptures, read the stories of the saints, right, and begin to explore what is it that God wants from me and how far I have missed the mark from what he desires. So then I realize my poverty and I beg to him in the position of a beggar asking for mercy. Our mother, St. Mary, left us with a beautiful example of how to live in spiritual poverty and the honor and glory that uh, is entailed with it. She said before the Lord, or before the angel, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Let us remember the blessing of being those who are poor in spirit, for theirs are the, is the kingdom of heaven. This is the path to the kingdom of heaven to be poor in spirit. May God grant us um, the insight to recognize this and to work on to be poor in spirit during the rest of this fast in our life. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.